So out of all of those verses that Rick just read, out of James chapter 1, um, as you look at those, which one, which one verse, I'll just let you pick one, which one verse would you want to hear about this morning? Proverbs 15, 1? We didn't read that one. Anyway. But I will come to it. I'm glad you brought that up because that's, that's one of the ones we're going to see. Excellent. All right. Verse 19. Okay. Let's do verse 19 then. That was the one I'm prepared to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so we're in the book of James. And um, James, uh, brother of Jesus, writes a very practical book. He writes it to believers, as all of the New Testament books are actually written to believers. And, uh, but there's a key word in the book of James, and that word is faith. Now the word faith, you can look at it from a number of different avenues, but faith is essentially uh, the new life that we have in Christ. So when we talk about walking by faith, living by faith. We're talking about living by our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're also talking about the faith that we possess that makes us new creatures in Christ. And in the book of James, James is all about showing us how to live out our faith. The key to understanding the book of James is actually in verse 18 of chapter 2. So would you turn there for just a moment? James 2, verse 18. To me, uh, when we get to James 2, uh, there's this passage about the, 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 the idea between faith and works, or at least that's how people understand it. Now what does the Apostle Paul say about faith and works? Just essentially, what is his big message about Faith and works. Faith without works is dead. James says that. And James says we're saved by faith and not by works. And some people are going to read the second chapter of the book of James and they're going to see what they consider to be uh, kind of a conflict there between James and Paul. Paul was very clear in saying that we are not saved by our works, but we're saved by our faith. And when we get to 2.14, it can be confusing to some people, but I think the confusion can be cleared up with verse 18. Let me read verse 18 of chapter 2. Someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now there's one command in verse 18. See if you can pick it out. What was it? Show me. What James is saying to his readers, not just in chapter 2, but throughout the book, is show me your faith. Don't just tell me that you have it. Show me. And in this 18th verse, the challenge is show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Well, you really can't show faith without showing works. So when we get to chapter 2, that's going to be the idea there, but James' concern is that we learn to show our faith 
the, the, the new life that we have in Christ to the world around us. And so he's going to give a lot of commands in the book of James. And in chapter 1, we're going to look this morning at verse 19. Chapter 1, verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Three things in that verse that we want to just look at today. Three things that help believers in Jesus Christ show their faith to the world around us. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I want to start with the first quick to hear. Quick to hear. Do you know what over-talking is? Have you ever heard that word? How would, what is it, over-talking? Well, maybe you haven't heard it. Talking over someone. If you, uh, sometimes I've been in situations where two people are talking to each other, but they're talking to each other at the same time. And you have like these two conversations going, and they're talking over each other. And it's hard to really listen to what the other person is saying when you're talking at the same time. Now, that's a very practical thing. Um, it's not something that makes you a Christian or anything. But if we're going to live out our faith, our new life in Christ, this is one of the things that James talks about. In the book of James, we're going to parallel a lot of what James says with verses from the book of Proverbs. Because out of the Old Testament books of the Bible, the book of Proverbs is the book that more than any other book speaks about the practical everyday life that we live as people who are a part of the family of God. I'll just pick out this one proverb, but from here on out, we're going to be more in Proverbs than we're going to be in James. So I'll just give you a heads up. Proverbs 18:13. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. He who gives an answer before he hears. James is very practical. He says, as those, uh, in verse 15 of James chapter 1, or excuse me, verse 18, it says, in the exercise of God's will, he brought us forth through the word of truth. That bringing us forth, that's the new birth. The new birth gives us a new nature. The new nature has expressed itself in how we relate to those around us. And one of the things, very practical, it doesn't seem like a really big important thing, but James includes it, we need to be quick to hear. Quick to hear. The second thing, which goes along with that, we need to be slow to speak. Slow, let me repeat that again, slow to speak. Is that what it means? Is that what we're talking about, uh, Diana? Oh, all right, I won't put you on the spot. Just shake your head, no, that's not what we're talking about. Let's go to the book of Proverbs, 1019, all right? Here we go, book of Proverbs, Old Testament. Here's how Proverbs came about. The Proverbs are the sayings of old white-haired guys 
who have lived life in the world for a long time. And as they've lived in the world for a long time, they've observed certain patterns of behavior that occur among mankind. Many of the Proverbs are true across the board, whether a person is godly or ungodly, whatever culture they're in or whatever time period they're in. If you live long enough, you will begin to see certain patterns of behavior that occur. They recur over and over and over again. And the book of Proverbs is a collection of these sayings of the wise men. And the, and the idea behind Proverbs is it's, it's, it's a father who's trying to instruct his young son in the patterns of living in the world, and especially living in the world God's way. Because the key word in the book of Proverbs is the word wisdom. And the word wisdom is actually a, a, a translation of a word that means skill. So wisdom in the book of Proverbs is essentially this. Learning the skill of living life as God intended it to be lived. Okay? 10.19. Referring back to James 1.19. Be slow to speak. Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 17, 27. I'll just read through a couple and then we'll make any comments we want to make. Proverbs 17, 27. Slow to speak. So we're talking here about restraint. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. Those, those two go together. Proverbs 17, 27. He who restrains his words have not, has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Now in that verse, you notice the parallel. Restrains his words is the same as one who has a cool spirit. And then verse 28. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. What's that tell us about the fool? He doesn't, he doesn't keep his mouth shut. And he doesn't have any restraint over his words. And when he speaks, his folly becomes evident. But if the fool keeps silent, people may conclude he's wise. Any comments on that? <laughs> okay. Amen. Okay. Proverbs 13.3. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 11.2. A man of understanding keeps silent. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak. So slow to speak is talking about having control of your tongue. When we get to James chapter 3, it's going to be all about the control of the tongue, the words that we use. And, and James and the book of Proverbs both say we need to have our words under control. 
under control. You don't always have to speak. You don't always have to respond. Words can become tools, but they have to be under control. What happens when our words or our speech is out of control? What are some of the potential dangers of speaking too much or too quickly? Yes? Destroying someone's hope. That's right. Destroying someone's hope. Now, you, you, you quote, can you quote Proverbs 15.1? I can. I think we all can if I give you a head start. There it is. Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stir up anger. So one of the things that out-of-control speech is going to do, it's going to stir up anger. Anger in the Bible is often associated with heat. It talks about the Lord's anger burning against different individuals. And words carelessly spoken can make that anger, that contention, even hotter. Has anybody ever experienced that? Where you've said something maybe in a it started as a discussion, and then it gets, we, talk, we even use that language, it gets heated. What causes it to get heated? Barry? It's just your own perception and expectation of your own thoughts. Usually it's something that you think it should be, and maybe it shouldn't be, but you get to a point where it doesn't matter, you don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now let's remember something here to bring this down to our James context. This is what James says is a way whereby we live out our faith. This is how we show it. The speech that we use. Especially in a hostile context. We can either make things worse or we can, a gentle answer, will pacify or help bring peace to a relationship. Um, Sometimes you need to respond, but again, being in control also means you know when to talk and when not to talk, and you know what to say and what not to say. Um, In Proverbs 12, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So you can build someone up or you can tear them down with just a word. Yes? Okay, here's another thing. Uh, Well, uh, hold that thought because we're going to talk about how do you control your speech. Okay, that's coming up. Quick to hear, slow to speak, those two actually are the foundation for the third one. Slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. 
Now, anger is sin. Yes? What? Huh? No? Are you sure? How do you know? Let all anger and wrath and malice be put away from you with all something else. I forgot about the other one. Isn't that what the Bible says? Jerry, isn't that what the Bible says? Jerry? <laughs> no, no, you're the only Jerry here. <laughs> anyway. No, anger is not sin. Okay, the easiest thing, I mean, right away, you, you know this, because God gets angry, Jesus gets angry, Obviously, not all anger is sin. There is a verse? There is? A... Frida says there is a verse that says, she says you can be angry and don't sin. Is there such a verse in the Bible? Where? Ephesians 4.26. Thank you. There we go. You're right, Frida. Be angry and sin not. So that means that there are times when anger is not sinful and there's times when it becomes sin. Now what James is talking about is going to be, again, illustrated in the book of Proverbs. He says, be slow to anger. Slow to anger. Quick to hear. Slow to speak slow to anger, all three of these are all about control. Let's go back to the book of Proverbs. 15.18. We're going to find uh, in the, my, tr the translation I use, we're going to find the phrase slow to anger, and it's going to be contrasted with something opposite. And let's see what that is. Proverbs 15.18. Here's the danger of uncontrolled anger. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. So what's the opposite of being slow to anger? Hot-tempered. Hot-tempered. What's temper? What's temper have to do with? Temperature, tempering, temperate. Heat. Has to do with heat. A hot-tempered man. That's a man that would be described as being easily angered, easily provoked to anger. He gets hot quick. Uh, we, we might use the term hothead, right? It's got that heat element to it. Because when you get really angry, your face gets flushed and you get all red and you get hot and bothered. Well, that's another phrase we use, hot and bothered. It's all about the heat. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. The slow to anger calms a dispute. Proverbs 15, 18 is describing for us how we who have been born again ought live out our faith. Sometimes we don't do it well, but that's what's expected. Proverbs, let's see, are you in 15? Let's go to 14, 29. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Slow to anger versus quick-tempered. Proverbs 16.32 He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, 
and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. So in Proverbs 16.32, the one who is slow to anger is also described in what way in that verse? What else does he do? He rules his spirit. It's control. Slow to anger means you are able to control your spirit. Now, you're not going to control it on your own. We'll, we'll come to that in a moment. Um, let's see. Proverbs 29.11. I'll just read this. A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. See, there's that restraint element there. So, you have to look at these Proverbs. You have to look at the James passage. And you have to ask yourself, where am I on this description here. Um, some, some of us have a, um, this, is a, this is an issue that we deal with and fight with all the time, anger. Uh, you remember the cities of refuge in the Old Testament? Remember reading about those cities of refuge? What were those for? Who can give us an overview of the cities of refuge? If, Lori? If you killed somebody, you could go there to be safe, as long as you stayed there? That's, uh, in general, yes, uh, we, we, we have to uh, clarify that a little bit. If you kill somebody unintentionally, without any premeditation or forethought, you could actually go to one of these cities of refuge. And what were you taking refuge from? Pardon? Revenge. revenge of the relatives. That'd be a good title for a movie, wouldn't it? The Revenge of the, <laughs> revenge of the Relatives. <laughs> We've done some marriage counseling with some of you that uh, that might be appropriate for. <laughs> Here's how Deuter the book of Deuteronomy describing these cities. It says, the city of refuge provided escape from the one who's called the avenger of blood, who in the heat of his anger would seek to track down the one who accidentally killed his loved one. But it's in the heat of his anger, in his rage for that immediate discovery that my brother or my son or my father has been killed by you because you were swinging the axe and the head fell off and it hit him in the head and he died and and, and you are so enraged, initially, that you want to put that person to death. And the cities of refuge were strategically located around the nation of Israel. And the reason was so that the, the one that's called the manslayer, because we call manslaughter, that's what that crime is, so that the manslayer could get to one of these cities before he got caught. And so the cities, the Lord, this is God's law. He provided that in Israel, those cities be strategically located in various parts. Because if you had to travel too far to escape, you wouldn't make it. And so you could go to the city of refuge. You could find refuge there. First thing they would do is put you on trial. And if it indeed was accidental, then you would be protected there. 
but you had to stay there until the death of the high priest, and then you could go home. So, but the idea of, the idea of it was the avenger of blood, in his rage, would put you to death. The danger of uncontrolled anger. One of the things about anger, and we're going to talk about the anger of Jesus in just a moment. Anger is usually a prelude to action. When God got angry, people got scared. Why? Because his anger was always going to be followed by his judgment of some sort. The anger of the Lord. And you, we see that in our own lives as well, don't we? You know, if... I can't really honestly use this in the, today's audience here, but usually when a father got angry, the kids would know that there's something bad's going to happen afterwards. My kids never experienced that. Uh, I never got angry. <laughs> but even whether you're raising children or even a, even a pet, I mean, if you yell at your dog, they'll begin to cower because often there's something that follows that. Now, Jesus, and Jesus got angry. God got angry, but only in the Old Testament. So, in the New Covenant, there is no anger on God's part. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> a lot of people in the world today, they, they try and talk about the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And now they're even distinguishing it even further. They'll talk about Jesus and the Gospels versus Paul and the Epistles. So that, for instance, um, Paul would say, don't, don't be deceived. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither fornicators or homosexuals or there's a whole list of things. He says, won't inherit the kingdom of God. Well, you come to the New Testament and in the Gospels, Jesus didn't speak against some of the very things that Paul speaks against. And so there are some, uh, I'll say Christians, I don't know what, to, I'm not sure whether to call them that or not, but who, they take the Gospels and because Jesus didn't talk about certain things, therefore he was in favor of them. Whereas Paul, who did talk about certain things, you know, he's just, being chauvinistic or something. But in the Old Testament, God was supposed to be, he's the angry God. In the New Testament, with Jesus, he's the loving God. And that's a false, that's a false dichotomy. You know what book of the Bible speaks about wrath and anger more than any other? Is it in the Old Testament or the New Testament? 
This book of Revelation, it's in the New Testament, yet to come. It talks about the wrath of God. I've got off subject here. What are we talking about? Anger. Anger. Yes. Ten thirty. Uh, no, but I'll add it. Go ahead. Okay, so here's the thing. God's telling me to be slow to anger. Shouldn't that same rule apply to him? He, he is slow to anger. Turn to, uh, I don't know, it's like five different places in the Bible where it talks about the Lord's character. I'll read out of it, Exodus 34. The Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Psalm 78, speaking about the Lord in his history with Israel. But God, being compassionate, forgave their iniquity. He did not destroy them. He often restrained his anger and did not arouse all of his wrath. The picture of God's anger in the Old Testament is the picture of a holy God who holds his anger in restraint. Now that doesn't mean he never is provoked to anger because he often is. But his anger is always a righteous expression of his holiness. And the times that he doesn't get angry or express his anger against the sinfulness of mankind is simply an expression of his mercy and his grace. But don't ever get the mistaken impression that the wrath of God is reserved only for the Old Testament when in reality the wrath of God is an aspect of his very character as an expression of his holiness. Last year we did a, a message on this and I, I titled it the, the Holy Wrath of a Loving God because there's this, there's this contrast that the world wants to make between a God who is all loving and because he's all loving that, that trumps all of his other attributes and that's not the God of the Bible. So God is slow to anger. We are to reflect that ourselves, to be slow to anger. What does that mean to you, to be slow to anger? Stop and think about it. Stop and think about it. Now, what's it take to stop? <laughs> A lot. <laughs> it's that control again. You see? Stop and think about it. Anger becomes sin. I'll just summarize here now. Anger becomes sin when it rises too soon, when it lasts too long, 
when it's not justified. And there's another one that I won't remember until I get to the end of the page here. But those three are good enough to start with. Ephesians 4.26, Frida, be angry and do not sin. And do not give the devil an opportunity. And what else does it say about anger? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. How many times have we as a spouse gone to bed angry with our spouse? Now, should I take that literally? Because, I mean, we just had an argument at 9.59 and now it's bedtime as opposed to 10 in the morning and then I got all day to get over it. But it's the idea that you don't hold on to it too long. Because what happens if you hold on to anger, if you allow that anger to reside within you, even without expressing it outwardly? Yes. Um, you are exactly right. God's wrath is not poured out on God's people. And why is that? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to distinguish something, though. God's wrath versus God getting angry. And I don't think that's a false distinction. Um, Romans 5, 9. You'd use discipline? Okay, all right. So then what's Romans 5, 9? Uh, let's see, God demonstrates his own love toward us while you were when Christ died for us. And we being justified... You're going to make me look it up, because I, I, I'm, that's one I should know. Someone want to look that up for me? I don't have my glasses. Romans 5, 9. Okay, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. First uh, Thessalonians 1.10 describes Jesus as the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. First Thessalonians 5.9, God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We will never come under the wrath of God for our sin. That, that end time, eternal, all-encompassing wrath that God is going to pour out upon the world. But God does get angry with his children and we can call it discipline um, we see it a couple places in the Bible God got angry with Moses do you know why God got angry with Moses Yeah, one time was that rock, the rock thing, you know. He was disappointed. His dis disappointed? Is that the, okay? I have to tell you a little story because my boys are here. <laughs> Richard or Michael, you guys can tell. I, the dates are going to be way off, but uh, 
I've been telling my grandkids, I, we, we need to teach you guys to be disappointed. And uh, so I, I've shared that with them on a couple occasions. Because disappointment's a part of life, isn't it? You've got to kind of know how to handle it. And so one Christmas, this is like two Christmases ago maybe, they gave me a Christmas gift. It was a package of, I think it was ding-dongs. You know, everybody's favorite dessert. You know, the chocolate on the outside, that filling on the inside. And I opened it up. There was a water bottle. And, it, and a little note that says something about prepare to be disappointed. <laughs> Rotten kids. <laughs> uh, okay, where are we? Okay, anger. Um, we won't go into the wrath of God and the anger and all that part. I, I did a message on that. It's on the website. I want to talk about what we're asked to do, be slow to anger. Anger becomes sin when it's easily provoked, which means it rises too quickly. When it lasts too long. When it's out of control and when it's unjustified. The book of Jonah, the very, one of the very last questions the Lord asks Jonah in chapter 4 is this. Do you have good reason to be angry? Jonah was angry with the Lord, and the Lord simply asked him one question. Do you have a good reason to be angry? And that's something we have to look at as well, as far as being slow to anger, being controlled by anger. There are some things that we ought to be angry about, because when you, uh, when you look at anger as an emotion, for instance, um, the emotions that we have are expressions of something in us. What does anger, just, just general, in general, what does anger express? Displeasure. Displeasure. Yeah. But mostly that you're displeased with something. And it's kind of, you know, deeper than maybe just I'm displeased. But anger is one of the ways that we express our displeasure with something that's with something or with someone. That's what anger is for. And it's legitimate. When you get angry, you're saying something to a, that person. That you're, you're not happy about this or that or whatever it is. You're displeased. It's a legitimate expression like a lot of our emotions um, reflect things like They communicate things like that. And what anger communicates is displeasure. Phil, yes. You've seen animals get angry? Okay. What weren't they pleased with? A coon hunting story. Okay, I can guess then. <laughs> Slow to anger. <laughs> Mike, when you were snaring bears, did they get angry? I don't know. How do you, can you tell if they're angry or not? <laughs> anger 
It's a legitimate expression of displeasure, but it has to be under control. There's some things we should be angry about. We should be angry about unrighteousness, ungodliness. I think we should be angry about killing unborn children or the elderly or greed. Anything that angers the Lord ought to anger us. How we express that anger, though, needs to be controlled. Because anger, if not controlled, can consume you. And of course, anger, as I said earlier, if not under control, will lead to other things. And so God calls us to be slow to anger. How do we do it? For some people, it's easier than others. But anger is one of the lusts of the flesh in Galatians 5.20. It comes from the flesh. All of those different elements of the flesh that are expressed in the Bible, how do we control those? The flesh, is that's, with, that's within us. So Galatians 5.20 talks about the different desires of the flesh, but Galatians 16 gives us the, the key. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the lust of the flesh. It's really not us that puts our anger under control. It's the Spirit of God. We have to appeal to the Lord for His Spirit to give us that control, that restraint. And how do you do that? How do you bring the Holy Spirit into your daily life so that he helps us control our emotions. Yeah, Sean? Studying God's word, reading God's word, and prayer. Okay. Okay. Good. I've got three things. Just, I have three things. One is through prayer. And this is across the board, whether it's anger or whatever it is. We need to be praying to the Lord. But if, if anger is one of your issues, you need to be specific in your prayers. Okay? You need to very, be very specific. The Word of God has power. And so if anger is an issue, you need to find those passages in the Bible, in God's Word, that speak about anger. You need to know where they are, and you need to memorize them. Because the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will bring all things, he's told his disciples this, that he would bring all things to their remembrance. And of course, we, we mentioned this before, you can't remember something that you never knew in the first place. So if he's going to bring something back to your memory, you, you, you've got to have it there in the first place. So again, the Word of God needs to be memorized in those areas especially where your faith is challenged, where your flesh is strong, whether that's lust, whether that's anger, whether that's greed, whatever, the Lord will certainly tell you. So, some of you got this in your bulletin and some of you didn't, okay? Uh, if you didn't, or no, if you did get one of these in your bulletin, You've got an anger problem. 
Not really. <laughs> I, I just, I didn't make enough. <laughs> so if you didn't get one, that doesn't mean anything other than you didn't get one, and I'll, I'll give you mine. But uh, <laughs> so, um, so these are for the people with anger problems, okay, whoever you are. Uh, they're good for all of us. These are just, I don't know, six or seven or eight verses out of the book of Proverbs that you can, you can put in your memory. And when you get provoked, you can rest assured that God's going to remind you of this verse that you've memorized. Try it. That's how it works with me. The more of God's word that you've hidden in your heart, that's what Psalm says, your, your word I've hidden in my heart so that I will not sin against you. And so the antidote to being quick to anger is the word of God. Amen? So, and just, you know, some people have different strategies. They'll count to ten or stop and pray. I don't know. What works for you? Oh, anger, it does, yeah, danger. And then I do the first three steps, condensed. I can't, you can, I'll let you. Okay, good, good. I can't, you can, I'll let you. Okay, so there's another one. Any, any other ideas? It's not worth it. It's not worth it? Okay. Say, I need a break. Give me a minute. Take time out for yourself. Separate yourself from the situation. That way, especially if you're married, you're just like, nope, I love you, and we're not doing this. Yeah, okay. And then come back level-headed with peace, and then try to work it out. Yeah, distance helps a lot, doesn't it? Kind of like the city of refuge. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to the back room. <laughs> okay, Ron, let's hear it. Oh, <laughs> will, you si- will you sign your book? <laughs> oh, I guess, yeah, you're, I'll give you mine. It's got your name on it. <laughs> okay, so that everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. That's the verse we, we didn't get to, but that's the most important verse. That's the very next verse, uh, James 1.20. Yeah. So, um, there it is. Just three small things called uh, uh, for us to do. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Amen? Father, thank you for the power of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, anger has a place. Would you show us when it needs to be expressed and how it ought to be followed? Father, would you help us to keep our anger under your Holy Spirit's control. We want to live out 
the new life that we have in Christ in a way that reflects your character. You are a God who is slow to anger. Father, during those times when we are provoked by unrighteousness and we get angry about it and we, I, I just, I pray, Father, guard us from taking steps that would be sinful or disgraceful to the name of your Son. Would you control our anger in a manner that reflects the glory of Christ? And Father, at the end of the day, what we are most grateful for is that the coming wrath of God, which is promised to fall upon all the unrighteous and the unbelieving, we have been delivered from that wrath because Jesus took that wrath on the cross. And so in praise to his name, we bless you this morning for your grace and your goodness to us. Now, Father, we call on you by the presence of the Spirit of Christ within us to be able to live out our faith in such a way that Christ is glorified and that our lives are under your Spirit's control. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.